Hey. Hey, good morning, everybody. Raise your hand if you don't have Bibles. And as we get started, we'd love to get you a Bible. You're going to want one. There's a ton of text we're reading through all in one shot today. Matt Persley back there in the back, he's going to read it in a moment. Um, good morning, everybody. My name is Evan, like Drew said, and my wife Sandy here, uh, she and I have the joy of leading this church together with the team. Uh, we, like, like Drew said, we're walking through Revelation today. We're focusing on chapters four and five. Uh, chapters four and five. We're going to read it all the way through in a minute. We're not going to read all the text all the way through every Sunday, but today it's a very special one. It's the beginning of Act Two of John's big vision. Uh, Act one was chapters one through three, this brilliant portrait of Jesus. Just like the portrait in the back, it's just, that's a brilliant portrait of Jesus that Joel is painting. Uh, there's so many facets to that painting that I was kind of overwhelmed by this morning. I really looked at it for the first time, like really in detail this morning, that painting in the back. And it's, it's stunning, everything that's going on. And, and John, similarly, John paints a picture of Jesus that feeds the rest of this, this letter, Revelation. Um, now in Revelation 4 and 5, we, we get a window. Revelation 4 and 5 is a window into the present, not just the future. Uh, primarily, this is a window into the present moment, and we see behind the veil into present unseen realities all around us in these chapters, not just future ones. Uh, so, so we're, we're going to soak in this imagery as Matt reads in a moment, because this book pronounces a blessing on everyone who reads it out loud, as well as everyone who hears it and takes it to heart. That's what we want to be. And for me, this is one of the best chapters, passages in the Bible, hands down, for me, for me personally. And I think you'll see why in a moment. Uh, but before we read, remember the two purposes of apocalyptic literature, which is what Revelation is. It's apocalyptic literature. Purpose number one is it helps us see the present moment in light of our future. Jesus is coming back. <laughs> Physically, that is our future. That is the future of the cosmos. And he's bringing with them a new heaven and new earth, a whole new city, full of purpose and meaning and family and creative energy, where we all experience an intimacy with God and each other beyond anything you've ever experienced. You think you've been intimate with a human being. You, you have no idea of a fraction of the level of intimacy with human beings and with God that we will all experience when Jesus comes back to bring his city to the world. And, and we're actually going to focus on that future reality for Advent this year. Uh, so the four Sundays of Advent, we decided to stretch out Revelation series from 12 weeks to 16 because the last two chapters of Revelation are what we are waiting for. <laughs> They show us what we're waiting for. And Advent's all about waiting, so it literally makes perfect sense to, to, to speak about that around Christmas time. So purpose number one, what are we waiting for? Revelation helps us see. Purpose number two, it helps us see not just our future, but our, our present unseen realities. And, and we realize when we see clearly, things are more than they seem. No matter how smart, educated, or opinionated you are, more is happening around you than you can imagine with your unaided mind. And apocalyptic literature, revelation, it comes along and it opens us up to that more that we couldn't see otherwise. And, and what John, the author of Revelation, discovers, and what we're invited to discover, if you're willing to receive it, is that worship, you have the first slide here, worship of the one true God is happening all around you all the time. When you see the present in light of heaven, when you see actually what's going on, 
The triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, he is the center of the universe, and he's the center of unbroken worship. And here in this chapter, these chapters, we discover that reality. Behind the entire universe is an eternal worship chorus in honor of the one true God. This has huge implications for you and me because this means, you guys, worship doesn't just happen on Sunday morning or in your community night. I love how Daryl Johnson says this. This means worship doesn't happen only on the Lord's day. You have the next slide here. Worship doesn't happen only on the Lord's day. Worship does not begin and end with us. Whenever we stop and worship God, we're joining a service already in progress. Always already in progress. You guys, Jesus is being worshiped with or without us. Thank you very much. And the question, so the question becomes, will we choose to join the song? That's the question. And with that question kind of hanging in the air, we come to Revelation 4 and 5. Matt Persley, wherever he is, I don't know where, there he is. Um, he's gonna come and read these chapters out loud. It takes about five minutes. So I would love for you to close your eyes, maybe uncross your legs, breathe deep, open yourself to this imagery and hear the word of God. Awesome. After this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. And the one who sat had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning rumblings and pearls of thunder, peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, and the third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. Even under it, wings. Day and night, they were never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, 
has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you were slain. And with your body and with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nations. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. We can close in prayer. Just start singing. Um, so not just because I'm a worship leader, but because I worship Jesus. This this is personally one of my favorite moments in Scripture. Uh, so so I want I do want to go to the piano and start singing right now. I'm like fighting it actually. Um, so here's here's the plan for the rest of our time. We're gonna walk through the text pull out implications for today, and then join Heaven's Song. Um, so chapter one, uh, chapter four, verse one, it opens with this phrase, after this, I looked. So can we look to the Spirit right now? Just acknowledge he's in the room. After that, we look. Lord, we look to you. You're here. Holy Spirit of God, the fullness of the Spirit, seven eyes, full strength, full vision. You see us fully. You're here. We thank you for gracing us with your presence. We look. We listen. We want to respond rightly to the God of all creation. So empower us even as we seek to praise. In Jesus' name, amen. After this, I looked. That was the command from chapter one. Look. Actually, it was two commands. Don't be afraid and look. And the idea is you'll find strength not to fear when you turn away from whatever else you're looking at and look at Jesus. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, Remember, this isn't a vision of some distant future. This is a window into the present. In the Bible, heaven's not a faraway place. 
Heaven is another dimension of reality very close at hand. You guys, heaven is right here behind the veil, all around us, all around you. Ordinarily not visible, not audible or touchable, but very close at hand. Heaven, a good definition of heaven is simply God's space. And the door to heaven is open. You guys, this is the good news. Heaven's open sign is lit up. And the sense here is it will remain open and never close. Isaiah 60, Revelation 21. The gates of heaven are always open, never shut. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, heaven and earth are being reunited just like God always wanted. And now whoever comes to Jesus today gets access to heaven today. Not just in the future. The invitation is open. God's space is open. Will you enter? Which is why in the next line, John hears an invitation like a trumpet. Come up here. It's that voice again from chapter one, coming from just behind the veil. It's the voice of Jesus shouting to all of you, to to San Diego and Tokyo and London and Christians in every city, shouting, get in here. The door's open. Come further up and further in. I'm right at the door knocking. Let's enjoy each other. Isn't this what you long for? To enjoy God and experience belonging in God's family. I know that's what you long for. The doors, get in here, he's saying. And then John says, he was immediately in the spirit. What does that mean? Trusting what God's doing, trusting God's spirit, willing to cooperate with God's movements and to surrender his own desires if need be. And then John sees it. At the center of the cosmos is a throne. He's in the spirit and he sees. The throne is the first thing that draws his focus. There it is. There before moves a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And that someone is not falling off it. He's not going to age out or pass away. There's no successor. No one else will be coronated. Before John, many Old Testament prophets had apocalypses of this throne. They saw the unveiling. And between the ancient prophets and San Diego in 21st century, you guys, how many enthronings and dethronings of empires have taken place. In John's day, it was the insecure Emperor Domitian who was particularly insecure about his baldness, historians say. He was strutting across the stage of history, Emperor Domitian, for a blip, and then September 18th, 96 AD, Domitian dies. Meanwhile, the true emperor remains seated on the throne. Today, Queen Elizabeth II the longest reigning monarch in British history, her reign is over. 70 years, and now her son is King Charles III. You can see on YouTube, England in St. Paul's singing for the first time in a lifetime, God save the king. And you see them all looking around like, are we saying this right now? This is crazy. And now King Charles is awaiting his enthronement, his coronation, which is maybe months away. And we've celebrated dethronings of many wicked empires. Hitler, Nazi Germany, Mussolini in Italy, Emperor Hirohito in Japan. During World War II, Pearl Harbor was bombed under his rule. Many worshipped him as God incarnate, by the way, Hirohito. And now we're praying for a dethroning of Putin's insanity, right? 
who's championing a campaign to win back Holy Rus in the name of God and country at the expense of countless Russian, Ukrainian lives. And, and not to mention right here in the USA, enthroning and dethroning presidents, trying to rule ourselves to deal with racism, political turmoil, and financial instability, according to which policy we think will nail it. And over and above all that noise, we hear a voice. Don't be afraid. Look. A throne. You're invited in. Get up here. See. A throne. Someone sitting on it. Unstoppable. Unshakable and permanent. You guys, this is reality as it is. Things are more than they seem. Will you receive this? Things are so much more. You're invited to look, not be afraid, and open yourself to him who sits on the throne. And then John describes this one on the throne. The one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby. You have the next slide. Jasper and Ruby. From the throne came flashes of lightning, it says. You guys, the living God is pure light. When the prophet Ezekiel sees this throne, Ezekiel, way before John, he said its brilliance was like glowing metal. And Daniel saw the throne in an apocalypse. And he said, I, it's, it's like flaming fire. It's as if they can't fully describe the quality and quantity of the light that's just bursting from this one who sits there. Psalm 104 tries to grasp it. Yahweh, the Lord, wraps himself as light with a garment. Paul tried to grasp it. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, Lord of lords, he alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. You know what this tells me? Whenever the true God makes himself known, there's light, there's clarity, there's vision for you, there's a sense of purpose. Even though many of your questions won't be answered satisfactorily, there's always the opportunity for a perspective shift in the light of God's presence. I think of Psalm 73. You know Psalm 73, it's, it's, it's a liturgy for doubters, is what it is. There's a song giving you words to doubt in Israel's scriptures. And, and it starts, I know in my head God is good, but if I'm honest, I'm freaking out. And honestly, it messes with me that bad people thrive while good people suffer. And then the psalmist says, but at the same time, when I enter the sanctuary, the light and the presence of God, I realize something. Even when deep questions remain unanswered, and I don't feel good about the answers I'm getting, when I open to the light of the throne, I realize I can rest in the one who sits there. I can. I will understand everything he wants me to. Here in his presence, worshiping, how many of you are suffering? How many, imagine, just imagine a room this size. What's the percentage of people suffering somewhat inexplicably? We're worshiping together. And until his kingdom fully comes, we're worshiping uh, until that day, every grief and loss. We not only get an explanation, but we get a restoration. You guys, heaven is open to you. Heaven is open. It's right here. Will you open to heaven? And receive the peace you long for. And then verse 5, John sees seven lamps burning before the throne, which he learns are the seven spirits of God. Remember the number seven in the Bible? It's the number of fullness. It's complete. You guys, this is the fullness of the Holy Spirit available for you now. God does not hold back from you. The fire, the clarity, the creativity of God, his energy in his fullness available to you. 
It's right behind the veil. Get up here. Come up here like a trumpet. Right now, flowing from the true emperor. And then John sees a rainbow that shines like an emerald around the throne. And anyone who's read the scriptures in John's day and in our day is like, of course, the rainbow flashes back to Noah. It's the ultimate sign of God's justice and mercy. Perfect fairness and infinite grace. So both. So whenever you see a rainbow in scripture, you think, I know this is insufficient, but think deal and heal. A rainbow means deal and heal. It's always a sign. It's always a sign that not only is this God wise and kind, and he's not only is he wise, but he's kind to do both. He's, he's, he can deal with every injustice and heal everyone who comes to him at the same time. Who's smart enough for that? Who's wise enough to both deal and heal fully? And then John sees in front of the throne, he says, a sea of glass like crystal. And through the Bible, the sea pretty much always refers to the power of chaos, fearful death, the fear of death and chaos all around us. So when you read about the, the ocean in, in heaven, it's not like, oh, there's an actual body of water. I hope there's surf or whatever. Um, even though there may very well be, I would bet that there will be an incredible experience of surfing in the new heavens, the new earth. But this, and I'll probably be able to, but um, so don't think, <laughs> but don't, that's not the first picture. It's not, oh, there's an actual ocean. Think this, this is the sea of chaos that threatens to suck our lives into darkness. But before the throne, you know what that chaos becomes? Glass, crystal, calm, perfect, shalom. You know, when you have those moments when you're going through a tough time and you come to God, you're like, God, help, help God. And there comes over you an unexplainable calm. You guys, that's the power of the throne. Flowing through the open door of your soul directly from the one who sits there. You're invited to receive this all the time. Get up here. Things are more than they seem. And then in verse four, we read it, John sees 24 elders these elders represent humanity, sitting on 24 thrones, clothed in white with golden crowns on their heads, and they're all gathered around the throne. 24 thrones representing humans, God's family gathered around the throne. What does this tell us? It tells us that the living God is someone who loves to share his authority with his family. God is a collaborator. Do you think of God as a collaborator? This is what he invites you into. And, and you hear this, get in here. Get up here, get into the collaboration with the divine, with the, tr with the Trinity. And then, and then John sees four living creatures very close to the throne, crazy creatures, six wings, eyes all over, faces like animals. These are crazy looking creatures. Most agree, most scholars agree, these creatures represent all creation. Like the four buckets of creatures an ancient person would see. So you go outside and you'd see wild animals, farm animals, people, and birds. And those are the four creatures on these faces of these four creatures. Uh, they're wild animals, tame animals, humans, and birds. And it's like all creation is caught up in this one who sits on the throne, endlessly worshiping. And this is a huge theme through the Bible. Somehow creation knows there's a creator 
and knows this creator is worthy of praise. Somehow. It sounds metaphysical because it is. Somehow creation knows that there's a creator worthy of worship, which is why Jesus says to the Pharisees, when the Pharisees were mad that Jesus' disciples were shouting out praise at Jesus on Palm Sunday, and the Pharisees are like, tell your disciples to shut up. And Jesus is like, if my disciples become silent, the stones will cry out. Jesus has the right worldview. Jesus is not a naturalist. Jesus doesn't believe, no offense to Darwin and Dawkins, but apparently creation never got the memo about naturalism. Naturalism, the modern idea that nothing exists beyond just the natural world. No, things are more than they seem. And according to Jesus, creation knows the truth and creation worships. John says day and night, creation, quote, never stops saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You guys, over and over and over, never getting tired of repeating holy. What does that tell me about creation? Apparently creation never got the memo from evangelicals that repetition in liturgy is a bad thing, you know, right? It's just holy, holy, holy forever and ever. Maybe we need more repetition in our liturgy uh, not pro- and, and more repetition in our private prayer. Maybe, maybe we don't need less of that. So I was, you know, I poked at naturalists, might as well poke at evangelicals. So there you go. Then, 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 Joss, then John sees that the 24 elders, representing who? All God's family, all God's human family, specifically redeemed humanity. John sees that they are inspired by creation. Look at this verse, um, uh, slide 26. This is the elders, they're seeing creation. They're like, whoa, you are worthy, Lord God, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created everything. And by your will, they were created and have their being. This is humans hearing creation's song, taking in the beauty and being like, whoa, I'm grateful. You guys, creation worships and humans hear and join in. Last fall, we did a backpacking trip as a staff, three days in the Grand Canyon, rimmed the river, so fun. Camping halfway down Angel Trail. Uh, You guys, sunset dinner at Plateau Point overlooking Colorado River between the massive walls, right between north and south walls, towering 100 times higher than any cathedral. I felt this overwhelming sense of awe and maybe even fear. And at the same time, this like gratitude. I had to thank someone. It's like that Andrew Peterson song. Don't you want to thank? You look at the ocean and the sunset and the, don't you just want to thank someone? It's innate to what it means to be human. And, and, and Revelation's t- saying, yes, that's supposed to happen right there. That reaction is supposed to happen. God's children, humans, are designed to come alive at creation song. Heaven knows this, creation knows this. You guys, things are more than they seem. When we open ourselves to heaven's open door to us, we see. We see the light, we rediscover who we are. The universe is not an accident. You are not an accident. The universe and we were created, yes, for God, but the Creation and humans were created to be in harmony together for each other too. We're meant to worship God in harmony. So not only does the universe have meaning, you have meaning. 
You have meaning. You are alive because the one who sits on the throne wants you to be alive. And all of this realization, it builds to what might be the most dramatic moment in the whole Bible. It's impossible to exaggerate this moment. And, and at the start of chapter four, all eyes are on the throne. Now chapter five starts and all eyes get even more focused. Yes, there's a throne, but there's something in the throne. It's in the right hand of the one who sits on the throne. What is this object? There's an object in God's hand. Revelation 5.1 says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who's worthy to break the seals? Open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. What's this fuss about the scroll? Why is it sealed up? What's in it? One interpretation I grew up with is that this scroll was the title deed to planet Earth, and whoever, so whoever holds the title deed owns the Earth. The reason I don't think that's right is because, remember, Revelation 4 and 5 is primarily a vision about the present. It's not just future. It's mainly present. And presently, who owns the world? Well, Satan still has plenty of authority here, doesn't he? And so if this is the title deed to the earth, then it should be in Satan's hand, or at least Satan should be holding a piece of it. Because remember, he offers Jesus all the world in his temptation, and Jesus doesn't say, you don't really have the authority. No, Jesus is like, I don't take it. So Satan should at least be involved if this is a future thing, if this is the title deed to the earth. No, instead I'm with... I think uh, most scholars I read, I haven't read nearly all of them, but Johnson and T. Wright, Gorman and Bauckham, and, and, and they, they call this the scroll of history. This is the scroll of history. So in, instead, of blue, instead of a title deed, think blueprints. Instead of a deed of title, think an architect's master plans. So here's N.T. Wright on this. This scroll contains God's secret plan to undo and overthrow the world-destroying projects that have already gained so much ground and to plant and nurture instead the world-rescuing project which will get creation back on track. The master plan to save everything. <laughs> is what God is doing, and bring everything to himself. And so John sees an angel. He's like, who's worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? And it's like, who can read this thing? Who, can, who has what it takes? Who can read it, let alone execute this master plan? And who's wise enough to understand the flow of history? Every single act by every single living creature, every single moral agent, visible and invisible, human, demonic, angelic, and weave it all together towards this desired end of the divine. Like, who can do it? And John's answer, verse three, he's like, no one. No one, there's no one that can do this. No one in heaven on earth, under the earth, could open the scroll, even look inside. No solutions. And this makes John, quote, weep and weep. Whoever said depression wasn't in the Bible? Whoever said depression, abject despair, isn't a Christian thing? Whoever said, 
No, we're supposed to see through John's eyes and feel through John's feelings here. This is intentional. How many of you have felt what John is feeling here? Greg's got two hands up in the back. Yeah. You witness pain or you experience pain. It doesn't make sense. And no one can do anything about it. There's no fix. In fact, everyone around you seems complicit. And even people that try to comfort actually hurt worse. Maybe for you, it's an external suffering. It's an external thing. You work hard. Maybe you work hard. You give your life to end an injustice. Maybe poverty or child abuse or neglect. Only to discover underneath the surface, there's 10 new problems in that topic. Oh my gosh, I've been working for orphanages, but then I just discovered that there's a great orphanage debate and not all orphanages are good. Oh my gosh, there's problems everywhere. Who can open that scroll? Just take the problem of racism in America and the questions around reparations. I'm part of a group here that is discussing this very thing in a multi-ethnic uh, group. It's like, it's like reparations and forgiveness. How do those things even begin to exist in the same place? And, and, and how to make amends for the church's complicity in racism through history, even in the name of God and scripture, abusing black bodies and indigenous bodies. And it's like, how do we now cope and deal and make amends? Who can open this scroll? It's like no one. And you weep and weep. Or maybe for you, it's an internal thing. You work hard to overcome sin. You're like, man, I... I get one month of freedom only to relapse for the 78th time. As long as you can remember, you walk, your walk with God feels like two steps forward, three steps back. It's like, who's able to unlock freedom and open the scroll? No one. I've tried everything. This is despair. Do you know this feeling? Listen, John stands with you in that. The one who Christ gave the great apocalypse to is there. He revealed the throne to this desperate man. You guys, God wants to reveal himself to you profoundly. And, and, and John, feeling despair, he's validating your feelings of despair. He weeps and weeps. It's real. Depression's real. The Bible doesn't minimize it. John, in Revelation 5.4, John sees no way out. Weeps and yet, and yet, and here comes the moment. Here it is. While John's weeping, one of the 24 elders, one of the family of God, this is why we need community. One of the, fam the family of God sees the despairing one and comes to John and says, hey, don't just weep. Look. Don't just weep. Look. There's that command again. Will you receive that command? Look. And he says, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. Lion of Judah, root of David, these are ancient titles for the Messiah that they're waiting for. The one who's gonna undo the hairball that is the human race. One who's gonna fix. Every sad thing is gonna come untrue and Jesus wins. He's gonna do it. He's able to open the scroll. 
Jesus has what it takes to guide all of history to its destiny, to undo the impossible web of injustice that's embedded in human society and eventually heal the specific hurt that you have endured in your life. Jesus can do this, you guys. Depression is real and Jesus can do this, you guys. We don't wanna minimize either one. John maximizes both. How will Jesus do this? How? How? Here comes the moment. The elder said, look, the lion. And John turns to see this lion, but what does he actually see? Does he see a huge mighty lion, like violently killing and muscles rippling and he's armed to the teeth. He has a, has a you know, gun around his chest. He's roaring and wrecking everything in his path. Is that who he sees, this lion with like a bandana? He turns to see a lion. And what, what, is that what he sees? No, he does not see a lion. He doesn't see a lion. This wordplay that you're about to see is intentional. It's even more intense in the Greek. I'm gonna, I'm gonna roll out, hopefully you have unfolding slides here. I'm gonna roll out this unfolding slide the way they're ordered in the, in the Greek because NIV switches the order but keeps the same meaning. And it's really, it's like they're revealing a punchline. It's like the author is revealing a punchline. Here it is. So, so, so there it is. One of the elders, the church is like, look, the lion, the winner. Look at the winner. He's on the throne. And John says, and I saw. And what does he see? Standing in the center. It's like building. And standing in the center of the four creatures. It's building. And in the center of the 24 elders, I saw a lamb. Not just any lamb, a lamb that looked slaughtered. Is this the lion? Maybe lions, real lions, don't fight the way natural lions do. This is a lamb described as having seven horns, fullness of strength. In the weakness of being slaughtered, totally powerful. And he has seven eyes, full vision. He sees everything clearly. In the weakness of being killed, totally wise. John turns to see a lion and sees in reality a little lamb. Yes, Jesus is the lion of Judah. Jesus wins. But it turns out Jesus doesn't fight like a lion does, overcoming his enemies through violence. The lion fights like a lamb, being overcome by violence and forgiving his enemies and giving himself for the sake of the world. You guys, this is how Jesus is able to take the scroll. And the moment the lamb takes the scroll, this slaughtered, paradoxical, inexplicable scene where the slaughtered and the weak are actually at the center of the universe. In this scene, he takes the scroll and the reaction of the universe, when Jesus takes the scrolls, the whole cosmos breaks out in celebration. The living creatures sing a new song. Then the 24 elders join in. Then, like Matt read, 10,000 times 10,000 angels join. And then I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the, all the ones who were unable to break, remember? They were specifically the ones unable to fix anything. They're the ones now singing for the one who can fix. And, and, and plus, those in the sea. He just threw that one in there. Now everything in the sea 
can, can see Jesus and, and all that's in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And then the final response is the family of God looking at creation. See the four living creatures representing creation say, amen. And all the elders, that's you, that's me. God's redeemed family. The only logical response is to fall down and worship. Perfect timing. (laughs) That's beautiful. As I read the last verse of the last chapter, that's that's the only logical response is to fall down and worship. You guys, this is the worship service that's always already happening all around us, with or without us. And so now we're actually gonna consciously and passionately join through singing, through maybe coming up front to kneel. Definitely at some point we're gonna come to the tables and eat and drink the bread and the, and the wine. Uh, but, but let's keep two things in mind as we worship. I would like to challenge you to worship passionately, to worship full on and all in. And, and two things, keep in mind. Number one, it is safe to walk through the door of heaven and approach the throne of the universe because the one who sits there is the lamb who died for you. Come knowing that. Come forward knowing that. Come to worship. Whatever, this means whatever sin or guilt or shame you have, your level of sin cannot change God's invite for you to approach his throne. As long as you know, nothing can approach his throne and stay the same. Are you, are, you, are you willing to come to the center of the universe and be burned alive with beauty according to God? Admit your need for forgiveness and healing, trusting that his plan for your transformation is the best plan. Remember, only he can open the scroll. Do you trust your life to the only one who can read the entire course of history? I think yes. That's why the only logical response is yes. Amen, said the creation and fall down was the response of the church. So as we worship now, hear the writer of Hebrews say, let us draw near with confidence, confidence to the throne of grace. And the final thing, number two, not only can you join the song, not only is the Lamb's throne this place of welcome and beauty and fire, but you are now reigning with the Lamb. Do you believe this? The lamb who died for you chooses to share his authority with you. Now, not, not just future. This is primarily a now thing. Did you hear the lyrics they sang? Revelation 5.10, you've made them, that's us, you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. That's now. Not just someday in the future, it's reality. Are you open to the heaven that is open to you? Maybe you're like, wait, I thought Satan and death and flesh, that's still a thing. Yes, yes. We will be fighting against them till Jesus comes back to finish the job. In the meantime, know that we fight with the authority and power of the throne behind us. One of Satan's biggest strategies is to get you to live like that's not true today. It's like, oh, Jesus, you know, he's not king yet. He's going to come back one time in the future. I don't see him. 
I still feel bad sometimes. I wake up. And so hopefully he'll come back one day to fix everything. But until then, things are just rough. And I'm just like destined to struggle, not really empowered to change. So I'll just grind out the rest of my life until I die and go to heaven and finally reign with, you, reign with Jesus, whatever that looks like, we can't really know. Do not believe that demonic lie. The reigning lamb has overcome and offers you the fullness of his spirit's power to reign with him now until he comes again to finish the job. Both are true. Now and not yet. Some of us, we believe that not yet way too much. <laughs> and we, we disbelieve the now. So today, through the power of the Spirit, you can bear the fruit of the Spirit and experience God's presence in God's community over the power of Satan for your transformation. You can change and experience victory in your life, in our city and beyond. No wonder there's 24 elders gathered around the throne. That's all of us, you and me, forgiven and healed and reigning. No wonder they're falling down and worshiping. Like we have the power of the throne coursing through our blood because of his blood. So as we enter this time of worship, no, things are more than they seem. And as we worship, we see. We're entering a service always already in progress, always already in progress, with or without you. The question is, will you join and the last question is not, after worship, you go and have brunch or whatever, and you're like, how was that for you? That's not the question. It's not like, what did I get out of it? Because I am not the issue. I've never been the main issue. Asking what did I get out of worship is giving in to the narcissism of our age because I'm not the issue. The question to ask after worship is, did I enter in? Did I join creation? Did I join the people of God across history? Did I want to fall before the feet of the lamb who's at the center of everything? So all God's creation is singing, Jesus is worthy. Let's sing it too. Heavenly Father, we come before you now thanking you that you've given us family status. Lord, you've given us a space in heaven seated alongside you. We worship you now. Let's all stand and let's sing.